Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the hydration watermelon smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is gaining recognition as a great resource for small business, uh, entrepreneurs, sales professionals, uh, business leaders, uh, from MSNBC's Your Business to Inc.com, uh, Proven, Fit Small Business, uh, People First, I think is the most recent one that I saw. Accelerate Your Business Growth is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. This is really uh, in large part due to the wonderful guests that come on the podcast. They give of their time and their expertise to have great conversations with me so that all of you out there in uh, podcast land can do better things with your business. Today is no different. Today my guest is Ed Epley. Ed is a leading global expert in professional management, sales strategy, and performance management. He's a principal consultant for the Table Group, a Patrick Lencioni company, and operates the Epley Group. He's trained managers at multinational companies across the United States, Europe, China, Japan, and Australia. As a facilitator of the course for presidents at Aileron, Ed helps owners of private businesses apply a system of professional management to identify and correct workplace problems. A professional career that has spanned more than 40 years, Ed has honed a skill for identifying talent, understanding executive challenges, and spotting and improving problematic management. Ed is also the author of the new book, Let's Be Clearer. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ed. Great to be with you, Diane. I am um, really always excited about talking about leadership and um, 
talent, because I think these are things that so many people struggle with, unfortunately. And I am curious about, um, and I'm always curious, really, as a fellow author, what prompted you to write the book? Let's be clear. <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> <laughs> now, seasoned. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that if I don't write it down, it's not, I, mean, I, won't, I won't remember to use it. That's part of it. <laughs> And then, and then, but, but, but more, more to the fact that I've had a number of people, um, it seems like it's happened more and more the last 10 years, people saying, you know, I, I'd like more. I, I want, uh, I, I appreciate what you've shared with me or with us in these, you know, time that we've had together, whether it's a day or two or whatever, but I'd like more. And so part of this was recognizing that there was a demand for it, a need for it. And then the other part was just feeling the need to coalesce. Um, what I've learned and put some framework uh, to it because it's it's one thing to have it in your head. It's another to organize it in a in a way that it could be shared with others in, a, in an effective manner. So I felt a need to do that as well. And so I was uh, fortunate to meet Adrian Burke uh, at Aileron, and um, and she is a former Yahoo small business uh, writer and and a great talent in and of herself. And, and she and I just started a conversation and, and it led to, you know, I don't know if she said you ought to write a book. And then I said, probably, yeah, I've been thinking about it. And I, it, would, it became very evident that we should work together. So she was so kind to help me get on paper what's in my head. And, um, and it's been, a, it, frankly, while it was difficult, it was a lot of fun. She made it enjoyable. And, and hopefully the people who choose to read it will find it valuable. That's terrific. I always think it's really important for people to be able to get that information out of their head and into some sort of format that other people can take and absorb at their own pace and go back to and, you know, always have it there for when they're in situations instead of needing the person because you only have so much bandwidth right you're one person you only have so much time yeah well and and diane i i would just share this with your your listeners if there's anybody out there wondering about whether they should do this or not you know there's 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 the question about whether it's relevant and whether people would find it valuable but i would tell you just the process of having to write it down um and then refine it and ask yourself okay do i really believe that you know or am i comfortable with the way that's said i think that was tremendously helpful for me in just further refining the the ideas or concepts that I believe in and and making it in a, a, a hopefully getting into a, a, a form where it would be easily understood and and not necessarily that everybody's going to agree with it, but at least they can grasp the concept in, in a way that's that's consistent with what I'm what I mean. Yeah, that's great. That is great. So tell me what you think makes a great leader. Um well, the number one indicator to me of somebody being a great leader is somebody who gets, you know, a, a group of people to go to a higher level of performance, probably higher than they go on their own. Um, and, and so uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. But ultimately, what I think is common about the great leaders that I've been around is they elevate people's performance. You know, they get them to, to do more than they'd either think they're capable or willing to do. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I look for in, in terms of that. I, I, I think there's some characteristics that go with that, though. When if you if you want to know those, I'll share those with you. Sure, I would love to know those. I I think they're they're going to be authentic. You know, they're they're not trying to be somebody other than who they are. 
Um, they, they also, as part of that being authentic, they have this willingness to be courageous. Um, and I don't know if you've thought much about courage, but uh, folks that I know who've been in harm's way as in the military, I was never there, but, but those who have, I've, I've talked to them about it, you know, and the, the whole premise of courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to act despite fear. And so when I think of great leaders, they have some level of courage where they're able to take action when it's, you know, risky and they're still willing to act when others probably wouldn't. I think another characteristic of great leaders is their ability to create clarity for not only themselves, but for everybody around them so that, that people can focus because there's right now for all of us, there's more to get done than there is time to do it and resources to get it done. So if you don't have clarity, you can't focus, you're probably not going to be effective. And then I think um, great leaders that I know of get people to give their discretionary efforts. So they, they do something in the, how they interact with people, typically because they're highly respected and trusted, that gets a discretionary effort from individuals that, that otherwise would be lacking. And then finally, I think, it, it, is there's a, a level of energy that they create, you know, a sense of urgency. And sometimes it's not, it's not always well received at first uh, because people can be pretty comfortable, but, but great leaders know how to tap into the, the desire that most people have to want to do something exceptional. So they create this energy that, that's infectious. It's, uh, it's, it, it causes people to want to be around people who feel that way. I got to tell you, so I love all of that. And I really like this concept of it gets people to give up their discretionary energy. I mean, that, that's because really, to me, the way I read that is it, it gets people to go above and beyond, yeah. right? So most oh, yeah. people sort of skate through life and, and do the minimum yeah. required. Yeah. But great leaders get people to want to do more. And, and um, for all the right reasons, you know, it's not manipulation. It's not, it's not you tricking me into giving my, my discretionary effort and energy, but instead it's, it's, it's me buying into what you're, you know, offering and saying, you know, this could be really powerful. This could be exciting. This could change things, you know, either in our industry or in our community or wherever it happens to be. And, and, you know, people, people want a cause. People want a, a, a something to believe in in their work. And so great, great leaders find a way to connect uh, people's desire to do that with what the business or the organization is about. Yeah. So what are the symptoms of poor leadership? <laughs> like <laughs> um, well, um, there's, um, there's a multitude of them. So <laughs> uh, let's, let's be clear. I'm not going to give you the entire shopping list, but I think there are certain ones that are, I, I would say kind of the real red flags in a team or a department or a company. Um, number one, good people leave the, the, the talented folks, uh, opt out. And, um, there, you know, the good, the good thing about that is, you know, talented people are always going to have their phone ringing. Somebody's going to be saying, you know, we, will you come to work for us? So they always have options. But, but if you're a talented leader, um, more often than not, you're going to keep those people because they're going to want to be part of what you're leading them towards and, and the way you're doing it. But if you're not doing that, then it makes it really easy for the talented folks to, to opt out. And, and so what I mean about the good news, it's if, if you've got good people that are leaving, 
it, it's very simple. You can look at yourself and go, you're, you're failing in some way. I think the other thing is that you, you, if you are growing, it's probably not profitable growth because you're probably not focused on the right things. Um, I, an extension of that is productivity will either be flat or declining so that um, you know, people are not getting better at their work. They're just working harder in most cases, which goes back to growing versus scaling. And then, you know, if you're, if you're smart enough to be surveying your employees, your associates, you're going to hear to some extent that um, this isn't enjoyable or it's not rewarding or you're going to be, there, there's going to be evidence in the surveys that people are not energized by what's going on. Does that, yeah. does that give you some indicators about what I think? It does. It does. And, and it's interesting because when you were talking about great leaders and you said something about because the leader is respected. Yeah. And so it feels like the flip of that is that the leader isn't respected and therefore people don't work to their, you know, beyond their ability. They, the good people leave, the, yeah. that there's no buy-in around whatever the plan is. Diane, if, if, you, if you think about it in the, uh, you know, I know you're a, a Dale Carnegie person from your past as am I. And it, the, the initial foundation for any relationship is mutual respect. Right. But, but, but for a leader, it's not enough to be respected. They have to be trusted. And, and, and this is not about ethical trust, which is to me a permission to play, but it's, it's trusted that, that when, when I respect you so much in your competency and how you treat me and how I see you treat others, then therefore I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. And that's what, you know, great leaders get the benefit of the doubt. They don't always, they don't always have to be perfect. Great leaders don't always have to be right, but people will give them the benefit of the doubt so that when the leader either admits they were, you know, they screwed up or says, I need your help and doesn't have to time to explain why people will still say sure, because they, they bought into who the leader is as a, hu a human being. Oh, that's such a great point. Wow. Okay. So I am a list maker. Um, it's good and bad, but you know, I have that if I don't write it down, it will leave my head forever. And then it's I, worse. I will never get it back. Right. But you recommend that we make something called a stop doing list. Yeah. So, I, and I, which I would like to talk about because this fascinates me. What is this all about? Well, I wish I could say I was the author of it. Jim, Jim Collins was the guy that I first heard describe it in his book, Good to Great. And so the stop doing list is um, the whole premise that things that were valuable in the past are no, no longer valuable to the organization today. So activities that we used to do that had value no longer are. Uh, work that used to be valuable no longer is. And, and if you don't stop every once in a while and identify what are the things we're doing that shouldn't be done at all, um, people will keep doing it with good intent and believing, believing that it's valuable. And, and so the, the whole idea about the stop doing list is, you know, at probably at a minimum annually, you, you need to ask people to write down what are the things you're doing that you think have low value that either should be done less, but more importantly, should be not done at all. And, 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 you know, sometimes you'll find something that somebody puts on the list that you can't stop doing. But a lot of times what you find out is there are things that we're doing that are legacy work uh, or activities that if we stop doing those, we have far more time to do what we really are supposed to do, if that makes sense. 
It makes complete sense. Yeah. So you're not you're not trying to you know you're not trying to add something new to the list with this time that you've taken away from from legacy stuff, but instead you're just going to focus it more on the stuff that you know really does add value. Right. And that is such a dangerous thing because it's that whenever you hear somebody say, because that's the way we've always done it, you know, oh, this yeah. is probably something we need to look at. You, you know, an extension of that is when people say, well, that's not my job. Um, because, because they're defining their job typically now by an activity rather than a, um, uh, an outcome. And so when people oh. define their role by the work they do rather than the results they produce, then, you know, it makes it really easy for them to hang on to doing certain things under the mistaken impression that there's value in that. And, and it, again, w people, people need to understand that activities are important, but it's the results of those that really matter. Right, right. And one of the things I like about what you said was that um, people do the same thing over and over again, e even if it's not valuable anymore, but, but um, unknowingly, like it's not yeah. like they purposefully no. are digging their heels in. This, this is just, this is how this company operates kind of thing. Yeah, well, well, it's it's a function of job descriptions, really, because people tend to get hired by a job description. If you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Certain list of activities, you got to be able to do this and this and this, and so their conversations when they're getting hired around doing those activities, and their boss, even when they start work, you know, still talks about a lot of those activities. But then, the disconnect becomes when the valuation takes place. If it if it takes place, then they tend to be evaluated more by results than just activities. And you'll even hear people in those situations say, uh, you know, if they get a marginal performance review, they'll say, but I'm doing all the, these activities that I'm supposed to do. And the boss will say, yeah, but you're not getting the right results. Well, that I blame yeah. that on the boss. I don't blame that on the person. I don't blame yeah. that on the associate. That's the boss not doing a good job of, helping an individual really understand that their job is a, is a, a series of outcomes that will define success for them and the company. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that that is a, a key point. And I think that the bosses need to embrace that and own it. Cause I think it's too easy to look at the person and say, well, they're just not doing their job instead of taking a giant step back and realizing mm, they are. Well, They're doing the one that you told them to do. You know, you had Joni Fetters on your show, uh, your, on your, on your uh, podcast before, correct? Yes. And Joni's with Aileron. And one of the things that, that they've taught me and, and painfully late in my career is that you can take a great person and put them in a bad system or process and they'll look incompetent. And, yeah. and, and so I've now, I used to be pretty quick to jump on the individual as the you know, as the problem, but now I, I try so often now to say, you know, who, how have they been trained? Do they have a process? Um, I, I, have they been, have they been encouraged to follow it? Is there understanding about what happens if the, if they don't follow the process? And, and as a result, you, a lot of times you can see clearly that a person is trying their best but they're working with a system or a process that is flawed in some way that makes it really hard for them to be the good person that they are. Exactly. Yeah. So yep. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that that's really something I've become more aware of. 
Yeah, and I think it's just invaluable if we're really going to lead effectively. I think that that's all part of, you know, how we view the the not only how we view the people who are working with us, but how we communicate with them about what our expectations are. Right. Well, you know, yeah. of, of all the professional management disciplines, of all six of them, the one that's universally done the worst, without question, and this is, I don't care where I go in the world, I don't care what kind of company, size company, age of the company, the universally worst performed professional management discipline is performance management. Yeah. Most, most yeah. managers have never been taught really well to set expectations, how to do that effectively, and then how to have the conversations about what expectations are, and then to support that. And, you know, if they're lucky if they've been taught to do a good performance appraisal. Right. Right. I know. It's really tragic. It is. And, and, yeah. and you know, everybody loses from that. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's, so and actually this I think goes along with that because we've been talking about that results really end up mattering um, the most as opposed to the, the task that people are doing. Right. You, you've got um, skill times effort equals results. Yeah. Okay, so how does someone continue to increase their skills even, you know, if their efforts are totally tapped out, is it possible? Well, let's, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Well, here's, here's the dilemma. The, the world in which we operate no longer allows someone to plateau. Um, if, if you're going to, if you're going to remain relevant and, viewed as valuable within your organization, then every year, um, and even if you're, even if you're self-employed, you got to get better every year because the cost of doing business goes up by three to 5% annually. That's what Peter Drucker said many years ago. And I absolutely believe it today. Wow. So, so the, the harsh reality is even when you try to hold down your cost, they're still going to go up by three to 5%. So if somebody does no more work this year than they did last year, I want you to think about this. So if, some, nobody's be, if somebody's uh, not better at their job in any meaningful way this year over last year, but we have given them a cost of living increase for their wages, then we just lost money. Yeah. And, and, and if you do that with enough people often enough, you're, you're going to go out of business. So the harsh reality, it's not, it's not, I hope people understand, it's not me being punitive saying that they got to get better at their job. No, it's, that's what the global economy that we operate in demands of all of us. So that's, that's the backdrop. Now, having said that, if you come to me and say, Ed, I want you to become more productive at your job. The problem with that for most of us is I won't hear that you want me to be better at my job. What I'll hear is I'm failing at my job. And it probably is an extension of that. I'm going to hear, I have to work harder, even though you've never said that. Hmm. So we have to be really careful when we have these conversations. But having said that, Assuming most people are giving a good effort and even giving us their discretionary effort, can we agree that, you know, after 50, 55 hours in a week, somebody really can't give us much more of their effort and have it be effective? Yeah. So, so the only way they can become more productive is to be better at, at, at some set of skills that, that make up their job 
And if you want to use baseball, since we're close to the baseball season, it, it's, it's somebody going from batting 265 to 280, you know, and as a batting average, they're not going, they're not getting to, to at bat any more than they were. They're still, they're at bat the same, same number of times, but they're putting the ball safely in play more often because they become better at their skill. Um, that's really what we're talking about. For most of us, we have to figure out what can I do so that I can produce more output with the same or less input. And in that's some, a great, that's a great analogy. Just want to say, I well, thank that. you. And, and some people, some people are self-aware enough to know what that looks like, but the average individual that I've encountered and probably myself included, if, if I said to you, Diane, what are the five things you need to do to be better at your job? You could list five things. And I could, if I was your boss, I could list five things. But if I ask you to make them hierarchical and I did the same, I'll bet your number one wouldn't match mine. Oh. And, and so what you think would, you need to work on to be better at your job is probably not the same thing as your boss. And I would argue in most cases, most of us are not self-aware enough to know what is the number one thing we need to do different to be better at our jobs. Yeah. It'll, be on our, it'll be on our top five, but it won't be our number one. Okay. So that, so, okay, then, then how do we get to it? So I, like, I guess my question is we do this exercise and then our, our boss has to say, has to say to us, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's some training we're going to give I, you. Well, I think it does need to be, a, and for most people, it should be a dialogue. It should be, and it shouldn't be a one-time conversation. It ought to be, you know, you, if you're my boss, you and I ought to be talking I would say at least once a month about how I do my work. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be a 20 minute conversation. It could be as we're, as we're walking down the hallway, you know, you handled that meeting really well back there. You, you, you did this and this very well. You, you might give me some feedback about something I'm doing well. You could say, is, is there one thing you think you could have done better in that meeting? And, yeah. and, and if I say, geez, I, I don't, let me think about it. And great. Get back with me tomorrow. Let me know one thing you think you ought to work on. And, and if, if there's a series of conversations like that taking place over six or nine months, by the time we get to the end of the year, because of the prompting that you would do with me, I could probably come to you and say, thematically, this has reoccurred. There's three or four times we talked about this one thing. So you haven't directly told me to get better at it, but you've made, it, made me aware that, that that's on your agenda. And I, if I'm smart, I'm probably going to pick on it. That's interesting. That is very interesting. And I completely agree with you. I think one of the biggest problems with leadership is that, that leaders do not communicate enough with people to let them to be having those conversations about how they're doing. And then so people are sort of blindsided, you know, this annual oh, yeah. review nonsense. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, but I could have fixed it 11 months ago if we had been talking about it then. I, I think... Uh... I think a lot of, of what makes for a great developer of people in a manager or leader is not dissimilar to what makes somebody a good parent. You know, it's, it's not one conversation that you have with your kids that helps them get to the next level, right? It's a series yeah. of conversations over a period of time. And they know that it's, even though they don't like it, the, the, the child, if, if you're doing your right job as a parent, knows you're doing it for the right reason, even when they're totally resisting it. Yeah, right. They're not questioning your motive. Right. They're questioning your sanity. They're questioning your yeah. intelligence. <laughs> they're not questioning your motive. And that's so, okay, too. Yeah. 
and 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 so to me that's the that's the framework that i would suggest that most of us need to have when we're thinking about our people is you know it's not a conversation it is a discussion that we're having over time that leads us to get alignment about what are the you know one or two things that each of us needs to work on to be better at our jobs yeah yeah i love that i love that it's a lot easier okay. to out, it's a lot easier to figure out what training or discussions or teaching needs to take place to improve skill once you get clear on what it needs to be about right exactly yeah. right otherwise people spend an awful lot of time on things that they don't need to be spending time on right um yeah what, okay it's not it's, just about somebody getting better we need to be more specific about what does that actually mean to get better exactly Right, because otherwise we're wasting their time and our time and we're not getting the result that we Bingo. need. Yeah. Bingo, spot on. Yeah. All right, but on the flip side of this, you've mentioned that you've actually seen businesses or seen a business fail from being too focused, which I find fascinating. What what happened? What what do you mean by that being too focused? Um, it's It's probably... Um, when I think of the, the companies that I've seen that fall prey to this, the market's changing and um, the business owners or leaders are refusing to acknowledge that the market's shifting. And, and as a result, they want to keep focused on what has got them to where they are and they won't, uh. let, go, they won't let go of what got them there to get to the next, to, to be able to continue and, and go forward. So it's, okay. it's, it's a classic example of a strength becoming a weakness. Yeah. That's so interesting. So that I can picture that, yeah. that I, yeah, for sure. So, so it's, yeah. it's more, it's more about not being able to see what's going on around you. Um, and as a result of that, um, the, the organization's destined to go through the death cycle, as I refer to it, you know, you, you, right. you grew the business from a startup, you, you scaled it to some level. Now the market changes, margins go down and you just keep wanting to sell what got you there and offer what got you there. And, and the market's already moved on and it's too late to fix it. Yep. Yep. Sort of like Kodak. It, that's a wonderful example. And, you know, it, the, the world is filled with public traded companies that, that went through that. And then there's literally millions of the small mom and pops that, you know, they, they, they bought themselves a job for 15 or 20 years and the market shifted and they didn't want to and they're gone, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ones, ones you and I'll never read about, but they're right, everywhere. Right, yeah, exactly. You go down the streets of some of the, you know, drive down the, the streets of Port Clinton, right? Or I'm thinking of some yeah. town, small town around you, Strongsville or wherever, and you'll see, you'll see, you know, stores that have gone out of business. Well, that's, that's, that's in part an, a, a business owner, not, not acknowledging that reality's changed yep. and, and, and doing something about it. So they end up having to go out of business. It's unfortunate, but it, it, is. it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's always so hard to watch because they just keep doing the same things over and over again. And you think, okay, wait a minute. If that's not getting you what you need, try something else. What have you got to lose? Right. Yeah. 
I, I've late in too late in my business career. Uh, I came to understand the importance of worship. I worship at the altar of high gross margins. Um, so what, what I mean by that is I want to be in a business that has a high gross margin percentage relative to my competitors, because that gives me capacity to be able to try things and do things and taste, take risks that I wouldn't have if I had lower gross margins. So the, yeah. a, a, the gross margin a company has is an indication of its ability to, to be sustainable long-term. So part of, part of why I, I think this is so important is our strategy needs to take us towards some kind of competitive advantage. We need to actually be offering a product or service that not everybody else can offer that the, that the market will value and pay us for. Right. And, and most business operators, most business owners really haven't done that. What they've done is they've bought themselves a job. They've created a nice lifestyle for themselves, but they don't have something that's unique enough that it's actually gives them an advantage in the marketplace. Cause that's, it's really hard to find that. But when you do all of a sudden you have a chance to not have a job, you have a chance to have a business, you know, something that could really be valuable to others. Right. Right. Yeah, it's really important. Okay, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we will continue with this conversation. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Ed Epley about uh, leadership and hiring and leading great talent. So, Ed, talk to me some about the notion that structure follows strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and in there, you know, what the difference is between the two and why one has to come after the other, please. Well, they don't have to, but I think it's probably in most business owners' best interest to, to have structure follow your strategy. Um, your strategy is your intent, right? It is the decisions you've made, sometimes tough decisions you've made, as we just talked about uh, before the break, about um, who, you'll, who you'll serve and who you won't, what you'll offer and what you won't. One of the biggest challenges most business owners have is they, the, the, especially small business owners, is they hate to give up any potential opportunity. It's, it's, it's scary as heck to say, we're, we're not going to try to serve these kinds of clients. Um, because you, you start your business just willing to do business with anybody just to get cash flow, right? Right. But at some point, if you continue to, to operate that way, where you're going to serve everybody and be all things to all people, you know the outcome of that is eventually you're not going to be very good at anything. And you're not going to be very unique or very distinctive in the marketplace. So the, the whole idea is, one, we have to have a strategy that really does make clear we are going to be these things to these kinds of customers. And it doesn't mean we won't do business with people who are not like that, but we're not going to go look for them. If they come to us, we'll, we'll do business with them, but we're not going to go build our infrastructure and our business to serve those kinds of people. 
Yeah. And, and once we do that, then we need to have a structure. And it's not only the people that we have, but it's the way we organize and deploy all of our resources, Diane. So it's, it's our time, it's our money, it's our facilities, it's our capital. You know, it's, 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 it's all those things have to be, the structure should be designed to support the strategy. And <clears throat> usually, our first of all, it's a lot harder to change your structure than it is to change your strategy. You, you and I can, it's, can spend two hours together and we can agree we're going to change our strategy. But then we got to go change the systems processes and the way the people are doing their jobs to align with that. So it's a tremendous amount of work to change structure. But when you don't, you're actually creating a path of least resistance for people to behave in a way that's not aligned with what you're asking them to do. You're saying go north with your strategy, but your systems and processes and structure take them, you know, to the west. Yeah. And, and, and so there's terrible inefficiency with that. There's terrible price to pay for that. There's confusion for our people. And I would argue there's even confusion for our clients because you say you want us to believe that you're this kind of company, but you're, you know, you want to be, you say you're easy to do business with, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you say you want to offer great customer service, but you don't. And that's yeah. oftentimes, a structure is usually about 70% of the problems that most companies have comes from their structure in one fashion or another. I can so see that. That's really interesting. Boy, I mean, you're talking about that, and I'm thinking of companies and organizations that I know that say they have a strategy, and then they create structure around doing other things, and I just think, well, wait a minute. How are these two things connected to each other? Because I'm not seeing it. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and when you don't have the right structure, then what it takes is individual heroic effort by our people. Yeah to routinely do what needs to be done. And that's exhausting for everybody. Right. And so people don't. Yeah. Eventually they give, they just get tired. Right. Exactly. So when it comes to culture, um, there, there are two, the written rules and the unwritten rules. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they, if you find that they contradict each other or do they work together and, how should it be? Um, well, first of all, everybody needs to understand that uh, every organization, every family, every married couple, every entity that's more than one person has a culture. It's either by design or by default. So it's either intentional that we've created it the way our, we have it, or it's, you know, it just by accident, but either way we have one. Okay. <laughs> so then the, the second part of this is that um, the culture uh, that we have is it should be designed to make it easy for people to behave the way we want them to behave. And so usually we have these rules that are in place that are well intended that say, I want you to behave this way. And, and a lot of times, you know, those show up in the employee handbook. Um, and a lot of them are thou shalt nots because they're really, it's, it's about the three to 5% of the people who need those kinds of rules to be effective that we have to have those. Yeah. But in addition to those written rules to help people know how to behave, um, it, when the business was you know, young, new, when it was small, the, most everybody just kind of modeled what they saw the boss or the owner do. But as the business scales and grows and the boss is not always visible, um, you know, we try to capture that in our values or our beliefs um, or our principles and a lot of, you, you know, you, you see those words because we, we know those have gotten us to where we are. 
and and so there are those kinds of attempts to have written rules and then the last thing we have are the unwritten rules which i think are the most powerful which are the things that the owner or owners have demonstrated over time that they hate <laughs> the things that really get them mad or upset and there's no written it's not written down anywhere but like i can imagine diane if i if i got around some people who were very near and dear to you and if i said hey what do i need to do to really be effective in working with diane they'd say well you need to know this and this and for right. god's sake don't ever do this around her <laughs> and so that's what i'm talking about the unwritten rules for every one of us as a boss a manager or an owner that there are those things that are just part of who we are per personality wise that we just hate and and we we show it in our facial expression. Oftentimes we, we, we speak about it verbally, but we've made it quite clear to other people that that's just either stupid or wrong or bad. And, yeah. and, and, and so now, you know, I think people pay attention a lot more to what you punish than what you reward. Hmm. That's interesting. I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah. I think people make a, a, have a lot more a lot more of their decision about how to feel about the company and their boss is based upon how, how they see us handling mistakes and problems than how we handle success. Yeah, I think that is a huge point. Yeah. That was a long answer. I'm sorry I took so long to get to it. I should have got to it. Oh, quicker. great. No, no, no. I, listen, I, I, I loved every part of it because I think it's, I think one of the most interesting things about being in an organization is watching how people behave, watching what matters, right? So, so I have this thing about, I think leaders consistently move the goalposts. <laughs> they'll say, this is what it is, but then they'll say something else, which is really what it is. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, like, if I use sales managers as, a, as an example, they'll say, okay, I, I you know, we want to increase business with current clients by 10%. Okay, that's the goal. Okay, now go do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now that's the goal. Do things my way. Yeah. Because, right? I mean, oh, that's yeah. not necessarily, and they do it all the time and don't realize that people are paying attention to that and aren't understanding it because it's it, it's confusing or it's illogical or it just doesn't work it doesn't get to that first goal whatever no, it is no. well it, it, it you're you're uh you're commenting about the frequency of it happening i again i the only thing i would add to that is i don't think that in most cases it's malicious i don't, think I don't either i don't think it's i don't think it's bad intent it's just lack of awareness self-awareness or lack of training yeah let's put them in that position unfortunately. i totally agree with you so speaking of that mm -hmm. um, that's interesting because that segues right into my next question which is if there's somebody listening and they are a leader of, of a company an organization or a department is there like how do they figure out how good of a leader they are um, and, and what the areas are where they might need to improve. Um, thank you for making me think. 
Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I, I I'm pausing because I don't want to give a, a I don't want to give a snap answer. I want to I want to that that question warrants a thoughtful response. Um, I think that the 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 one of the top indicators, no, one of the top characteristics of a highly effective leader is they're highly self-aware. So let's start with that. They, they know okay. their strengths and their weaknesses. Well, for that to happen, uh, for me to know my strengths and the weaknesses, I need to be tested and probed and prodded um, a number of times in a number of ways. So I think you need to do different you know, personality tests. I think you need to subject yourself to scrutiny of you know, feedback from others both your boss and your peers and your subordinates. So that 360 kind of feedback. <clears throat> and, and you should be getting that, you, sh you should be seeking that over time. So you're really, you're really looking for the themes, Diane. I'll bet, I'll bet you're highly self-aware by this point in your career. I think you probably know your strengths and weaknesses pretty well because you've probably one been forced to, to, to confront them, but also I think over time you've probably thirsted for it because you probably wanted to get better. So you needed to know, well, where, where are my blind spots? Where are my weaknesses? And then I think the extension of all of that is you have to have a thirst to be better at what you do, you know, at your craft. So if, 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 if you don't have that thirst, you can go through all these efforts to be self-aware, but to what, to what end? You know, you're probably right. not, you're not going to be that much different. And then the second piece is if you don't subject yourself to the uncomfortableness of of hearing feedback that may not be, you know, pleasing, um, you're probably not going to, you're not probably going to see reality as other people see it. And um, this is not about our reality. It's the reality that other people see when they're around us. And we've got to be prepared to deal with that. Does that, right. does that make sense? It, it really does. It? Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And, and I agree. It's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. It's hard to hear. Yeah about you know areas where we need improvement and yeah. it's tremendously important to the success of our company and yeah. our future in, in the work i do with uh, the table group and pat patrick lencioni we we talk about you know the leaning into the danger and in in meetings and team settings and i think as an individual we got to be willing to lean into the danger about who we are yeah I do too. And do you think that when we're able to do that, it makes it easier for us to constructively do it for other people? I, th I think the term I would change is, is, is simpler. I don't think it makes it easier. I think, if, I think it's, there's always going to be those fears about, you know, how are people going to respond when we want to talk to them about their own performance and behavior and, and, uh, and, and the number one weakness we see in all teams at the table group, the one thing that we see universally is the difficulty they have in telling each other, um, you know, giving each other feedback about their behavior. Real yeah. time. Real time. Because yeah. what I want to do is I want to wait for the right time to tell you, Diane. You know, I don't want to tell you real time um, for a lot of reasons. But usually when you, when you peel that onion back, what you find is I'm more concerned about my discomfort than I am giving you the truth. Exactly. Yeah. And and what about someone who asks for that sort of feedback? Like like says, okay, I'm not aware that I'm doing that. So what would be really valuable for me is that when you see it happening, if you could tell me. Right. 
at the time that it's that it's happening, that'll help me process it right in that moment. I would think that that a good leader would embrace that if yeah. someone right was asking yeah. for that. Yeah, she would. She absolutely would. But but I again, most of us are not trained, coached, taught to embrace that. It's yeah. the, the the example I would give you that I think. Um, is relevant here is if you've ever skied, if you've ever been on a snowboard, um, and I don't know if you have or not, but the the whole the whole premise is your instincts when you're on those those uh, pieces of fiberglass or whatever is is to lean up the hill, to lean away from gravity, way gravity's pulling you. But to be able to do it effectively, you got to lean down the hill. You gotta you gotta go in your opposite direction, and and the ability to have tough honest conversations one-on-one or in a group setting is not intuitive. That is not a natural instinct. But it is so critically important. Oh yeah. And I don't care if it's, I don't, I I even think, you know, since a lot of your work is, is related to salespeople, I think most salespeople run from conflict. I do too. (laughs) So I do too. And in fact, it's, it's an invitation to have an honest conversation will make you look really different in the eyes of your client. It's, it's so funny that you say that because when I first was in sales, I used to say to prospects, I don't know whether I can help you or not. Is it worth a conversation? And if I can't, I will tell you that I can't. Right. I have no problem with that. And it was so different. They were like, Oh, okay, well, if that's the case, sure. Let's have a conversation. And I would tell them, and and I have people say to me, why are you doing that? It's like, because that's what's best for you. It's not, it, it, I'll, I'll get taken care of if right. I'm doing what's best for you, right? right? Right. So, yeah, yeah, boy, I know more salespeople need to really embrace that whole concept. <laughs> that's my mission. I hear you. So, so tell us about the book, um, what people will find in it uh you know who should be reading it and where people can get it well uh the book is simple uh hopefully uh, i'll say like me <laughs> and, <laughs> and it'll be construed in the right way um i my job and in, in fact i have clients that say you know what you do for me above all uh, is you help me simplify things um so it's 120 some pages it's about these six disciplines for professional management that they teach at Aileron, um, which we, we won't spend more time other than say it's a great place for anybody who wants to run a more effective business. Um, but it's a, it's a framework of what I've learned to be true about those six disciplines of, of leadership, of strategy, of people development, of the structure you're going to use, the organizational performance methods you use, and the culture you create. So that's what's in the book. And it's, so it's, the, the, it's written for owners and executives, but it's truthfully also written for anybody that's a manager at any level. And, and Diane, if, if, if you were becoming a manager working for me, I'd probably, what I'd love is if I could hand you this book and say, read this over, you're becoming a manager, let's talk about it. And it at least provides a, 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 a common language for how we're going to talk about these different disciplines. Yeah, that's terrific. Uh, I, I think it's, Congratulations. I, I think it's really awesome. And I, I will second that I think Aileron is a great organization. So uh, I thank you so much for joining me here and would love it if you would tell the listeners 
how they can get a hold of you, how they can learn more about Aileron, about um, the table group, anything. Well, first of all, I'm on LinkedIn. And then secondly, I have my own uh, business called The Epley Group. And so if you go to The Epley Group, all one word, that's our website. You can get my book there. You can also get the book online at uh, uh, Amazon in both hard copy and Kindle editions audio to follow <laughs> with your with, with your response I think I need to talk to him and um, I'm open to talk to people anytime I and don't I take questions and comments I get people reach out frequently and, and I'm happy to talk to people to try to help them advance um, the majority of my work is done with owners and and uh, CEOs and their executive teams but I'll try to help anybody if I can that is tremendous thank you so much. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, There's so much great information for people that um, no matter what are in some sort of a, a leadership position. So well, I highly recommend they go out and get and, and I will tell you, I've really enjoyed my time with you today, Diane. You made it very enjoyable and I can tell you are a pro. Thanks for letting oh, me. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed it as well. I mean, I, what's so great for me is I learn something with every person I talk to. So I, I it just, I get better and better because of folks like you. So it's, it's all good. It's a great little ecosystem we have here. And speaking of the ecosystem, I also like to thank our listeners. I know you guys have gotten a lot out of this and um, that you're why we're doing it. As well as our sponsor, audible.com. Get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash business growth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.